Welcome, Midtown, and all of you that are worshiping with us. Um, we're really glad you're here. If this is uh, your first time to be with us, wonderful. And if you've been following along uh, as we've been doing video services, we're really glad to continue in worship. Um, and we invite you to do that. Um, our service, uh, like all worship, is uh, participative. It's something that we don't do alone. Um, it's something we do corporately. And even as we're uh, still separate, um, we're really glad to get to do that, knowing that really all over the world, um, the body of Christ is worshiping together. So as we begin, uh, I'm going to call us to worship from Psalm 119 and would invite you to listen and and read along with me. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 57 of Psalm 119. Lord, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. With all my heart, I want your blessings. Be merciful as you promised. I pondered the direction of my life and I turned to follow your laws. I will hurry without delay to obey your commandments. Evil people try to drag me into sin, but I am firmly anchored in your instructions. I rise at midnight to thank you for your just regulations. I am a friend to anyone who fears you and anyone who obeys your commandments. O Lord, your unfailing love fills the earth. Teach me your decrees. Let's worship together. Hey friends, Um, we're going to enter into a time of worship together. Uh, So worship with us in song, in repentance, in longing together uh, to feel the Lord's embrace. Isn't he wonderful? 
as you wait for the crown Tell the world of the treasure you found Father, please give us the gifts of your gentleness and your humility um, as you speak to us about repenting of sin so that we can live more fully uh, in this world as you would have us to, to love it well, to love your other children well. And the only way we can start to do that is um, by knowing your heart and knowing your love well and being seen as we are, sin and all. Um, give us your grace. We love you. Amen. Hey, good morning, Midtown. Uh, good to be with you uh, this morning uh, to spend some time opening up the Word. Uh, we're going to be building on what Elliot led us in last week, uh, looking at the topic of the gospel and justice. And what does the Word have to say to us about justice, and particularly uh, injustice? And our pastoral team really believed and felt uh, convicted that it was appropriate and necessary uh, as a church in this time of uh, really national racial unrest uh, in, the, uh, in the gravity of this moment uh, and in the uh, latest wave of racial tragedy and injustice in our country uh, for us to pause as a church uh, to reflect as a church, uh, to respond as a church, uh, to really seek the Lord and ask the Lord, uh, how, how are we to think about this? How are uh, we to respond as the body of Christ, which you have redeemed to reflect you uh, in the world? And so uh, Elliot uh, charged us last week uh, with, and out of Psalm 5, the, the first real step to that process for us as a church is to lament and that uh, we should truly lament uh, over the injustice that we see being, being done, uh, that we need to grieve over that. Uh, we should weep with those who weep, as Romans 12 says. Um, but lament should lead us somewhere as a people. Uh, lamenting uh, should lead to, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, should lead to repenting uh, and then from repenting to really restoring and reconciling relationships. And so the emotion of lamenting, which is completely appropriate, that emotion should put us in motion. Uh, lament, literally, it's like turning the key in a car and turning and starting the process of the car moving in a different direction. And so how do we get in motion uh, as the church? Uh, well, we're going to take some more time looking at a different passage this morning in Isaiah 58. Um, to look at the issue of justice from uh, a biblical perspective and from that lens, uh, how we get into motion as the church uh, ultimately begins by going to the Word. Uh, we believe that God's Word uh, is our authority, it's our guide in all matters, and it's really the Lord's voice on the matter uh, that we want to listen to most. And I say it like that because it's such a challenge uh, in this time, because there are so many voices and so many actions that, if we're honest, um, things other than the Word that really do shape our perspectives. Um, I think you could argue that that's much of why racism exists in the world, is because the wrong voices, um, broken, sinful voices, um, those were the voices that shaped our worldview, voices that had 
unchecked, unlamented, unrepented of sin and thought is why racism and other fruit of sin exists in this world. Um, scripture teaches really, really clearly that sin um, is pervasive and the fact that it's affected every aspect of creation, all of our lives. But it's not just per pervasive, it's progressive. That when sin is unchecked, it grows. Um, it's like when you think about uh, in cancer treatment, when cancer cells in the body aren't early detected, um, which early detection is so vital, isn't it? Because it's, it's hard to treat cancer after it's spread to other parts of the body. It's the same way as it is with sin. Uh, unchecked, it grows, and it grows beyond what it initially started as. And it's why it's so important that we come to the Word, because the Word functions uh, literally like a spiritual MRI for us, like that big tubular machine that they put you in that kind of scans you from every direction. It's a spiritual MRI, and the Lord has given us the Scriptures really to expose our worldview and to reshape and remold our worldview our view of Him, our view of how we see and understand ourselves, and our view of the world that we're called to live in and seek the goodness of. And so we come to His Word this morning, and we desperately need to come to His Word because His Word is what fathers us. It's what leads us in righteousness. His Word disciplines us, like Hebrews 12 says, and He disciplines sons and, and daughters that He loves because He wants to produce what? A harvest of righteousness and peace not injustice and death. And man, do we need a harvest of righteousness and peace. He gives us the scriptures to shepherd us into all areas of maturity. You hear this a lot in Midtown, into spiritual, emotional, relational, and social maturity. And so um, I'm just going to confess to you that I need maturity in this area of my life. Um, when it comes to the area of racial injustice, um, I need to mature. And... Um, this week, uh, I've gone from everything from feeling just utterly heartsick um, to feeling uh, overwhelmed at the scope uh, of the situation and the problem. Uh, I've felt pessimism and hopelessness um, because I know the human heart because I've looked at mine pretty carefully. Um, I felt impotent. Uh, you know, a sense of real paralysis uh, about how, how do we affect change. I felt shame for my ignorance uh, and at times my apathy. Uh, I felt shame for my lack of an understanding of how I'm implicated in the problem. And uh, have taken even great comfort, like in Psalm 19, where David says, keep me from my willful sins and my hidden faults. I know I've got hidden faults. Um, and I'll just admit, I'm not an authority at all on racial injustice or racial tragedy, and I have a lot to learn. Um, but I do know something about sin. And sin, uh, Scripture says, uh, is the root of racial injustice. Uh, it's the root of all injustice. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is just how do we address sin in our lives, and specifically in the context of what we see happening uh, historically in our country and what has just happened recently, the racial injustice in our country and our city. And so lamenting, leading to repenting, and then leading to restoration. That's where we're headed. So buckle your chin straps. Uh, here we go. All right. 
We're going to be in Isaiah 58 this morning. Um, how, how do we get there? How do we get to, to repentance and restoration? Um, Isaiah 58 is um, it's a passage about fasting. Uh, and um, it's, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophetic book. Uh, it's one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. A prophet always had a tough job because God sent uh, prophets oftentimes to challenge His people. They were His people. There's no question about that. He had chosen them. That was safe. That was secure. But He was making them into something, uh, to reflect something. And oftentimes He would send His prophets to challenge them on their sin and on their motives behind all of their religious activity. And so this passage in Isaiah 58 that I'm about to read um, is really challenging on this this passage uh, about fasting and the spiritual practice and discipline of fasting that God calls His people to. Uh, They did annual fasts, uh, they had corporate fasts, they had individual fasts, and God takes this topic of fasting and He ties it to the topic of justice uh, for His people. And He says and shows them in this passage some of their false motivations behind their religious activity. And He does that not to shame them, but to aim them. Aim their, their motive, their head and their heart, and their effort, their hands, uh, aim their motive and their effort of fasting in the right direction. Okay? So we're going to read this passage. This is Isaiah 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They seek and ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loosen the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked clothe him and to do not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. 
This is God's word. Well, there's obviously uh, a lot in this passage, um, a lot that we we won't be able uh, to touch on in detail. I'd encourage you to, to spend some time sitting in it. Uh, a lot of this sermon is um, not only my study of this, but just my own personal wrestling uh, with this passage this week. Um, and so the three things I'd love for us to focus on uh, in this is, one, uh, what is the heart of fasting? Uh, secondly, um, that fasting leads to somewhere, which is repentance. And then thirdly, uh, repentance leading to the restoring of relationships and moving towards reconciliation. Okay. So the first thing, uh, the heart of fasting. Uh, what, is, what is this fasting all about? It's not something uh, I hear a lot of people <laughs> talk about. Um, but uh, just to be really straightforward uh, and, and try to be really simple, that fasting, the heart of fasting really is this. Uh, it's me going without something for a period of time, intentionally and willingly going without something for a period of time. It was typically food or drink, um, but it could be other things. Intentionally and willingly, um, you could think of it this way, self, it's a self-inflicted protest of me self-fulfilling my hungers first. I'll say that again. It's a lot of S's. Self-inflicted protest of self-fulfilling my hungers first. It's, it's protesting a me-first life. And that's why it's so unpopular. Um, Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He says that when you, when you fast, you're not to do it in a way so as to show other, other people. You're not to do it in a way so as to be seen fasting. It's actually the hard, hidden heart work uh, that He calls us to as believers. And the goal of fasting really is this. Um, it's, it's to submit and to humble myself and to obey God and not just my hungers and my feelings at the time. So the, the call to fast, the command to fast, was a command to intentionally go without something, um, not just in response to a situation. We saw David do that plenty of times in the Psalms where there was something very difficult going on. And so he said he, he fasted and he prayed. So we, we fast and we pray not just in response, but actually to invoke a response. I fast in order to awaken a response through this spiritual discipline and obedience to fasting that the Lord has given us. It's setting my needs and my hungers aside for a time to come awake to other things. And I would say in this passage it says, not just to come awake to other things, but to others' needs. Like, for instance... Um, the call to observe the Sabbath in the Old Testament was really a call to fast from work. It's to rest and to worship, but to really stop from our tendency, our flesh's tendency to overwork. And when we, when we fast in the Sabbath, what we do, what do we do when we set aside time for worship? We set aside time to remember and to be restored to the joy of our own salvation that we were the ones that He brought out of oppression and slavery, spiritual and literal, that we were the ones that He saved and that He set us free now to be an ambassador of that message, that we're the ones who now bear that family resemblance as those who have been rescued. So we fast from work when we, when we worship. We fast, another fast, you know, we could talk about this one, uh, fasting from greed. He says in there that I want you to spend yourselves, spend what you have on other people's needs. 
Um, I want you to give away money and give away your time from what the Lord has provided for you. Use that to provide for others. And, and when you do that, what you're going to see is you're going to see Him to continue to provide for you. He's given us fasting as a discipline not to make Him love us, but for us to actually live into our identity as those who belong to Him, who belong to His kingdom, and His kingdom has different values than the world's values. And so I fast in order to awaken myself to the Spirit's voice in me, to being led by the Spirit. And sometimes it takes doing something physical. I actually have to do something physical to wake something up in me spiritually, right? That's why, and you've seen, you know, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people in Nashville now who've been a part of peaceful protesting. That's why peaceful protesting, it's a physical thing that is waking something up in me. Maybe that's what the Lord is calling you to do in this time. Maybe it's setting aside time, which is a fast, right? Setting aside time and real prayer, seeking the Lord on this matter. Maybe it's, it's setting aside time to think critically or intentionally about the rhythms or the voices that you've listened to in your life that have shaped your worldview that are different than what Scripture says. Maybe it's, it's setting aside time to seek out guidance or wisdom from a brother or sister of color or of a different race or ethnicity and saying, hey, I want to understand your experience because I don't. I'm going to create space for that. And to create space for that, I have to fast from something else, right? If for nothing else than my routine and my comfort, I have to say I'm going to set my routine and my schedule and what I want to do, I'm going to set that aside for a period of time to pick up those things. So it's a good question for us to answer right now. Lord, what would you call me to? What would you call us to as a community to fast from in order to pick up something else, something of greater value? I'll give you a few more examples, some real practical examples. How about I fast from my sense of authority and control of my schedule and use of my time? I mean, I love my time, right? My time is very, very important to me, and my routine is very, very important to me. I, I was reflecting on this this week and realizing it's really hard because COVID-19 has already destroyed all of my routine, right? I mean, we have been on a forced fast already of, in so many ways. And now, because of the racial tragedies that are going on, I don't think it's lost on any of us. It takes real effort to look into racial injustice, and that it requires even more fasting, right? I have, to, I have to pause even more deeply than I have. And people are already hard-pressed because they understand that, that this, uh, this situation of racial injustice, it didn't happen overnight, and it's not going to be fixed overnight. The true change is going to take time and sustained effort, and it's going to take me being willing to sacrifice my routine more readily and more frequently. What about fast from a life of spontaneity for a life of intentionality and commitment? You know, only people of privilege actually get to live with spontaneity. It's only people with means that actually have the capacity to make decisions on a whim and act on those things. Spontaneity and the, and the freedom of that is privilege, right? What would it look like to say, I'm not going to live a spontaneous life, but I'm going to live an intentional life, a committed life, to a steady work in the same direction, even when no one's looking. 
How about I fast from seeing my money or my position or my influence as simply mine and only as a means to satisfy my own wants and my own needs? How about I fast from always doing what is convenient and easy and comfortable? And I actually choose to be uncomfortable because if you're going to step into this issue, you're going to have to choose to be uncomfortable because it is uncomfortable. It's hard. How about this one? Fast from feeding insatiably on the next post and dig into the Word, which has the wisdom and it has the truth that we need to feed on to see true personal and communal gospel transformation leading to the change that we desperately need to see in our city and in this world. I'm going to fast from the phone and pick up the Word. So he calls us to fast, but fasting, fasting, remember, it's just, it's like lamenting. It's, it's, it's like turning the key. Fasting leads to something, and what it leads to is repentance. It's the second thing I said we'd talk about. Fasting really helps me see what it is that I need to repent of. And repentance, just like we said fasting, is setting down one thing in order to pick up something else, in order to come awake to something else. Repentance is turning from one thing in order to move to another as well. It's setting down, ultimately, my old self and my flesh and my sin nature, and it's picking up my true self, my new identity, and walking in the righteousness that is mine in Christ. And what it says in this passage, it's kind of hidden in there, but I want to I read it again. When he's talking about their fast, remember, he, he kind of points out the irony. They're doing all this religious activity, but ultimately... They're saying, you know, why haven't you heard us, God? We're doing all this so you can hear us. And he's saying, no, no, you should be fasting not to get me to hear you, but so that you could hear from me. I want to lead you in a different direction. And he says this about their day of fasting. On your day of fasting, you do as you please. You do as you please. But later on, that's in verse 3 and verse 6, he says, is not this the kind of fast that I have chosen? You hear what he's saying there? What he's talking about ultimately is repentance. He's saying repentance is, is turning from a life of I do what I please to a life of I do as you please. I do as, as, as you call me to in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. And I think most people, and I, I'm in this boat, are just as unfamiliar with repentance as they are with fasting. Um. I, I very rarely hear people talk about repentance. It's just not something I hear people say. Like, I never run into somebody and they say, say, hey, what you've been doing today? And they're like, man, I've just, I lost track of time because I was spending so much time repenting of my sin, right? And I think part of that has to do with the fact that we've actually moved away from calling what the Bible calls sin, sin. That if I don't call it sin, if I don't acknowledge it as sin, then I don't have to deal with it as sin. I don't have to face it as the world, or sorry, as the Word calls me to deal with it. I don't have to bring it to the Lord and to His resources. If I don't call it sin, I get to handle it how I see fit. I get to call it things like, that's a struggle, or it's an issue I have, or it's a mistake, or it's my personality type, or it's how I am. Rarely do we just call it what the Bible calls it, which is sin. And the danger of that is this. 
that if I don't call sin, sin in my daily life, then I can't all of a sudden be found um, guilty or implicated. Um, I'm talking about godly sorrow when I say guilty, like repentant. I can't be found guilty and implicated or, or feel convicted about my apathy towards racial injustice when in something like the unavoidable evil of systemic racial bias, I can't all of a sudden be found guilty in that way when I don't call sin, sin in my daily life. I, get, I, just, I can't turn the switch all of a sudden. I don't have the muscle developed. Let me tell you how um, I got personally convicted about this. So there are places like in Ephesians 5 is one of them. There are other places where Paul does this where he talks about things about our new nature and things that we're supposed to avoid because this isn't who we are now. And he'll build these giant lists like, I want you to put to death sexual immorality, and I want you to put to death greed, and I want you to put to death obscenity. And, and he'll kind of build these giant lists, and then he'll always end with a few like this, uh, and foolish talk and coarse joking. And when I read those, um, a lot of times... What I, I tend to do is, is I immediately look at that list and I say, why are all those things lumped together? Like, yeah, sexual immorality, man, that's, that's horrible. Racial injustice, that, that, is, that is horrible. But, but coarse joking? Like, why'd that make the list in the same thing that he's saying put to death? Why is, it, why is he saying that? And why is he saying that is, is because we love to, I think, I'll, I'll use an I statement, I love to differentiate and delineate and say there are certain things that are sins that actually need to be repented of, and then there are all, all these other things that we kind of wink-wink, and that's okay, right? Like, we, we can kind of collectively pro- kind of protect our prejudice, right? And I love a good joke as much as anybody, because I'm funny. I'm kidding. But honestly, I, I love to joke. I love to laugh. And yet, Oftentimes, what I'll see is, is that uh, when I do that delineation or that differentiation, and I don't call coarse joking sin, um, then if I begin there to, to kind of numb myself to the fact that, that God calls that sin, then I all of a sudden um, have begun to architect a life where I don't need to repent. Because all my sins are on a list that really aren't really sins. But these over here, man, I can call those out. I can call people out on those all day long. And the danger of that is, is if I don't call sin sin, then I, I build a life where I don't need to repent. I don't need to seek forgiveness, even with people who are very similar to me, right? And so it shouldn't surprise me that I lack the repentance awareness or the repentance muscle to flex on these larger, more nuanced and complex issues of racial injustice if I've never run the mile of daily repentance with my wife and my friends who are very similar to me. I, I can't run the marathon with my brothers and sisters of color for real change if I've never run the mile in my daily life of repentance. Now, I know that sounds kind of depressing, um, to say, I'm, I'm going to look that honestly and that regularly and that, that thoroughly and that carefully at my sin. Like, isn't that just going to kind of have me down in like the shame cave all the time? Um, and I would just tell you, brothers and sisters, it doesn't have to. Um, 
If that sounds depressing to you, probably what that's bumping up against is your pride and your ego and your flesh uh, and not the Lord. Because um, Scripture tells us that repentance is a great thing. The repentance is where I leave a life of, of I do as I please, which is as I am my own Lord in all situations, to a life of I do as you please, because that's what I was created to do, is to glorify you. Repentance is a good thing, because I turn to the Lord and away from myself and being self-led. That's why Luther, when he, he nailed the 95 Theses, he said, all of life is repentance, that our whole lives, this should be such a natural thing. We should be leading the world as Christians, as those who, who readily and easily repent of our sin, because our sin isn't what defines us anymore. Christ is. Scripture says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Most of us only understand penance, Right? which is, is I've done something wrong, and so I'm going to kind of self-flagellate. I'm going to do a bunch of performance guilt in order to get a response to prove that I understand. We're not talking about penance. We're talking about repentance, being brought back into the stream of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love for me, that when I was the offender, that when I was helpless for God and I needed God to move towards me, to reconcile him, me to Himself, he did that for me and all at his cost. The invitation is, is repent. And what I find, if, I, if I'm honest, if I look at my own heart, and if I look at the life of many, many believers um, who are, uh, I think I'm guilty of oftentimes practicing religion rather than a relationship with Jesus. Um, instead of all of life being repentance, all of life is just one giant attempt to self-justify, to get the love and the acceptance that I deeply desire from God uh, through my own effort. And so if that's true, if I, if I don't get my identity from His grace and from His mercy and from His sacrifice, but from myself and my, my work, then I can't be found as doing anything wrong. Everything wrong has to be something outside of me, not something beginning with me. That's why when uh, you've maybe heard the story before, when G.K. Chesterton, who's a famous English theologian, he was asked by the Times, and I think in the early 1900s, um, tell us what's wrong with the world today. His response to the Times was, was two words, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Right? What did he understand? That what, what's broken with the world, first and foremost, starts with me, and it starts with my repentance and moving back into God's grace and mercy and love for me. And when I taste that, it transforms me. It transforms me from doing a life as I please to stepping into my new identity, to stepping into that identity where Scripture says this in the New Testament, that sin no longer rules and reigns, that I'm set free and I have a new heart and I have a new spirit and I have all I need for life and godliness to do what you please, Lord. I can choose the fast that you've chosen, right? And he sums that up. Scripture sums that up in Micah 8, right? I've shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, says it like this, we do justice out of merciful love because that's what we have been shown. Mercy and love and what was justly due us was mercifully taken by Christ for us. We were on the wrong side. 
And we were hopeless and helpless to change without what Jesus did for us. When we lament and when we fast and when we repent, we step back into that stream of grace. It changes us. And what we do is the third thing I said we'd say or we'd talk about. And that's this. We restore relationships. Fasting and repentance, first off, it makes me humble, right? It restores me to a right relationship with God. And look what he says in verse 11 about what happens when I get back into a right relationship with the Lord. He guides you always. He satisfies your needs in a sun-scorched land. He strengthens your frame. And we need strength for this journey, right? We'll be a well-watered garden, a spring whose waters never fail. So we step back into right relationship with God. And what do we do? We receive everything we need. And I can walk in humility now. I can walk and receive His merciful love. And then it makes me something. And that's this. It's the end of this passage in Isaiah. I become an ambassador and an agent of the very love and mercy I've received. Right? What does that look like? How about this? Verse 6. We loosen the chains of injustice. What does that mean? That means... Everything from the personal heart reform that I invite into my life, Jesus transformed my life that I would reflect you and bear the family resemblance, all the way down to changing policy and programs for the public good, right? I'm seeking the good of my brother and sister. So we loosen the chains of injustice. We set the oppressed free. We break every yoke of oppression. We do away with malicious talk. And instead of malicious talk, what do we do? We bring words of life. We spend ourselves for the hungry. We don't just spend on our own hungers. We satisfy the needs of the oppressed, not just our own needs. And ultimately, there at the very end in verse 12, what do we do? We rebuild the ruins. We raise up foundations. We repair broken walls. We restore streets and dwellings. It's a picture of what Proverbs 11 says when it says, when the righteous prosper, the whole city rejoices. Because the righteous Those who are in Christ, they leverage themselves for the good of all. That's what bearing God's image is. We bear His image by doing that because we value the image of God in and for all people. Our fasting, our lamenting, our repenting, it turns into feasting. With who? Our own flesh and blood. I was haunted by this verse, and I'll close with this. At the very end there, he says, Do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. That's what we do. As those who are in Christ, we don't turn away from our own flesh and blood. Uh, We are implicated in their struggle because what? Because we're family. We turn towards them. We don't turn away from them. Galatians 3 says that what once was separated in Christ has now been brought together. There's no longer Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, no male, no female. That's no longer our deepest identity, our place of unity. Christ is. And He has brought us together by His blood. And He has made us blood. He has made us brothers and sisters. What would, what would I do for my own children, right? I mean, I was sitting with Lane the other night and thinking about that I have, I have friends uh, with black children that they have to talk about how to talk and approach a police officer with. And I'm realizing I've never had to do that for my child. I'm not, I don't even know if I ever will have to do that for my child But these are our own flesh and blood. Will we be implicated in this struggle? Midtown, let's be be implicated. Let's be a lamenting church whose hearts are moved at injustice. Midtown, let's be a fasting and repenting church. What do we need to set down to pick up something greater? 
that more fully reflects Jesus, who is our King. In Midtown, let's be restorers of our city, ambassadors of Christ and reconcilers of relationships, bearing the family resemblance of our King. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, would you heal us? Uh, would, you, would you wake us up? Uh, would our hearts be moved? Um, would we grieve uh, and weep with those who weep? But would we not just emote? Would we, would we be set in motion as the church? Would we repent of the sin that you show us and reveal to us, not be ashamed of that, Lord, because you, you love to even take our sin and, and redeem it and to make beautiful things out of broken things? Um, and would you give us wisdom, courage, uh, conviction, creativity about how to be restorers of our city? Um, to be those who raise up foundations and repair broken walls and restore streets and dwellings. We ask all this in your holy son's name uh, and by his grace. Amen. Let's sing this song together and remember who we belong to. And that he's a good king and a good father. This is my father's word. To my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me. is king let the heavens ring the lord is king let the heavens ring 
confession together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Father, help us realize that we want to be seen by you, to dwell under your caring gaze, and to grow strong and gentle in your sight. Lord, let us see what you see, the love of God and the suffering of people, so that our eyes may become more and more like yours, eyes that can heal wounded hearts. All things will be made good again. 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 You are the vision ever before our eyes and our inspiration takes form and strength we find knowing that someday you are gonna make all things right 
But we are just waiting, we are just singing about it. We're learning to live here on this earth as it is in heaven. With our spirits and bodies, with our people and with our time. Sing all things, all things will be made good again. All things will be made good again. All things will be made good again. Is a shadow in your green light. It's a seed of the kingdom taking root in our hearts and minds. And our spirits are groaning for the world to be reconciled. All things, all things will be made good again. All things will be made good. Again, all things will be made good again. No sickness, no sorrow, everything in its rightful place. Nothing old, nothing borrowed, everything is a gift of grace. No faith, no religion. We will see with the very eyes. No hate, no division, brothers and sisters recognize. No sickness, no sorrow, everything in its rightful place. Nothing old, nothing borrowed, everything is a gift of grace. No faith, no religion, we will see with the very eyes. No hate, no division, brothers and sisters recognize all things will be made good again. All things will be made good again. All things will be made good again. All things, all things. Will be made good again. All things will be made good again. All things will be made good Midtown, in our service this morning, we've been called into true worship of the High King of Heaven, into true fasting and to repentance. And we've also heard about how that fasting and repentance, how that worship of God then drives us out into our world as people who have been reconciled, who are, who are bringers of this new kingdom of God on earth. And so cry out with me uh, the, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Go in peace.